Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. These stories and and so many more, countless other stories, it's the DNA of our church. It's it's the DNA of of what Lauren and I envisioned when God put this, this church on our hearts. As we sat on top of Mount Soledad and overlooked the city, our our heart was moved to be in a place where there was these kind of stories, this this connection, a place that felt like home, a place where there was true community and love that happened. And, And for all of us, our stories began long before this church. But God saw fit that somewhere along your journey, somewhere along your story, that one day you would stumble across this office building behind a gas station that happened to be a church. And that place became a sacred spot, a place where we felt the presence of God, a place where we sensed this unity with one another, a place where we discovered purpose together and we lived on mission and, and the story is just beginning. But God saw fit for our stories to cross each other's path. And I couldn't be more excited, more honored, and more overwhelmed with joy at the fact that our stories are together. And the fact is that, that stories change everything. And the reality is if you're story matters to God, then it should matter to us. If people matter to God, then people should matter to us. And it, it lines up exactly with what we're talking about in the Sermon on the Mount here. It's the foundation of who we are as a church. It's the foundation of who we are as believers. It's the foundation of who we are as Jesus followers. And Jesus made it abundantly clear throughout the Sermon on the Mount, this truth that you'll see in your notes, that you cannot live by the Sermon on the Mount and refuse to care about others. There's just no way for those two things to be separate. If we're going to live this kingdom that Jesus calls us to, it requires that we care for others. And the the timing of, of today's message could not come at a more perfect time. And so we're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I love how this passage plays out in the, in the Passion Translation. It says this in verse 1. Refuse to be a critic full of bias towards others. <laughs> that, that in and of itself is, is a lot said. And you will not be judged, for you'll be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. The measurement you use on them will be used on you. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong, when you're guilty of even more? You're being hypercritical and a hypocrite. First, acknowledge and deal with your own blind spots, and then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. And then Jesus drops this truth 
in verse 12, in everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you want them to treat you. For that is the essence of all the teachings of the law and the prophets. I, I love how they use that word blind spot because the reality is within ourselves, we can't find our own blind spots. Thus the name blind spots. We discover these things about ourselves in community, in connection with one another, and it helps us see this. You see, we live in a, in a society where it seems like everyone is only concerned with themselves, only concerned with how things impact them. It's almost as if we live the opposite of the golden rule where we say, do unto others before they do it unto you. Like, it just you lead because someone inevitably is going to do something to you. And we can just be honest with ourselves. This is safe space. We live in an insane world. It's a crazy place. It's, it's like we're inventing new and creative ways to make life more confusing and chaotic. But we have an opportunity to understand that Jesus is calling us to be a part of the change, be a part of the impact rather than sit on the sidelines and be a cynic. Sit on the sidelines and be critical. Why is this so important? It's this in your notes that when we become comfortable being a critic, we lose the ability to be compassionate. When we become comfortable judging and, and pointing fingers and living in that mindset, we lose the ability to be compassionate. It's easy to become cynical and jaded and hard-hearted. So, so Jesus puts a fire under our seats by saying, hey, the same measure of which you judge others, I'm going to judge you by that one. Like the same standard, the same, the same energy, the same cynicism, the same jadedness that you are placing on those, just a heads up you're going to have to run through that same filter too. And it's this challenge to us to, to reevaluate how we care for one another. So ask ourselves, what should motivate us to really care for a world that makes it hard to care for them? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he points us back to this importance of, of our relationship with God and how he interacts with us and, and recognizing the depth of that. I love how he describes our interactions with God in Matthew 7 and 7. He says, hey, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus reminds us, that because we are adopted into the family of God, we are recipients of the promises of God. Because we're adopted into his family, we have access to his promises. He, he's saying, I want you to, to keep asking and to, to keep seeking and to keep knocking. I have a question for you. Have, you. have you ever had a door that you didn't have permission to knock on? Right, just like raise your hand. A door like you're, you know you weren't supposed to. A couple of you are like, I'm trying, I don't know. Have I? I can tell you this story because my dad's not here to kick my butt. I already got consequences to deal with when I get home. But it's worth it. 
Growing up for me, our Sundays were all about family and football. We would have lunch together with my, my grandparents and family would all come together. We'd watch football together. And because we were in the central time, by the time the, the first games were over, we would head home and the second games were kicking off. And, and I was an only child and my parents would say, hey, we're going to go take a nap. And I was just left there and so I, I would just get bored. I'm just sitting around, and, and then I would go, and I would, I would go knock on the door, and I would get in so much trouble, and I didn't really understand why until I was a teenager. Why am I in so much trouble for just knocking on the door? What I didn't realize is that because Dad worked 60 to 80 hours a week, that we're going to go take a nap was code for something else. And little Danny was over there, boom, 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 what you doing in there? Looking under the door crack, being all weird because I didn't know what else to do. And I never understood why I was in so much trouble. I was not supposed to knock on the door between the hours of 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. There are things that need to be accomplished in that window of time. Leave me alone. Solve your own problems all by yourself. I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> Jesus tells us, hey, I want you to ask. I want you to seek. I want you to knock on that door. I want you to continue to do that. Not because the, the promise was in the, the asking or the seeking or the knocking. It, that's not the promise. The promise was in the, the qualifying statements that if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. You have permission to knock on this door. Not that Jesus is saying, hey, whatever you want to ask, whatever you want to do, then I'm going to give it to you. No, what he understood is that, that as you continue to ask, as you continue to seek, as you continue to knock, that, that your proximity to him would shift your priorities. That as I'm asking him, I'm in proximity to him. As I'm seeking his way, seeking his answer, seeking his guidance, I'm in proximity to him. As I'm knocking on that door, even when it feels like I'm not supposed to be knocking on that door, he's saying, the door will be open. Why? Because as I'm in proximity to him, my priorities begin to change. All of a sudden, what I'm asking starts to line up a little bit more with his heart. What I'm seeking starts to line up a little bit more with his heart. The door that I start knocking on is the one that he's willingly opening for us. He says, your promise is that as you ask and seek and knock, you will find me. He continues in verse 9. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? It depends on how many times you ask me for a snack. It might just happen. Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, Jesus is saying, even though we may be selfish people, even though we may be flawed, may, may be struggling, may, may not even know if we like our kids today because they've been crazy. Like we, even in those moments, we know how to give good gifts. We know how to love. We know how to care. And Jesus' point was, you understand about this much of love. How much more 
as your heavenly Father, who is not flawed, who is perfect, who understands the fullness of it all, how much more does he love you? How much more does he care for you? You see, the, the New Testament is filled with stories telling how numerous people not only got to be in the presence of Jesus, but the things that he did in their life, he, he gave them a gift. He left a gift within them. We see stories of, of how he would give the gift of acceptance for a despised tax collector that he allowed to be a part of his 12. We see the gift of forgiveness for a prostitute who was about to be stoned. We, we see the gift of healing of body for a paralytic, the gift of, of the, the mind for, for a man who is demon-possessed. We see the gift of, of comfort and hope for two sisters who lost their brother who had just died. We also see him give the gift of resurrection to that same dude when he brought him back to life. We see the gift of restoration for a disciple who denied Jesus and gave up. You see, we all have this opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus, but it shifts some things. And it leads us to this truth in our notes that God's love is capable of impacting everyone, but it's experienced differently in each of us. We all are impacted by the love of God. But how and what it looks like, his love for us is a custom fit. His love for us meets us right where we need it the most. His love for us finds our weaknesses, finds our struggles, finds our hopelessness. And he says, I'm going to custom fill that spot with the love that you need. That's the love of God that we get to experience. So we're, we're promised this privilege of God's unique and special love for us. And we get to experience his promises in the, the way that he says, as you ask, as you seek, as you knock, I, I will be there. I will respond to you. That's why he says, in everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you. Treat them the way that I treat you. Love them the way that I love you. The bottom line is that, that we become people who care and are filled with compassion the closer we get to Jesus. As we become like him, we, we begin to care about the, the stories of others. We begin to, to care about their eternity. We care about their, their life. We care about their purpose. There's a depth to the way that we interact with one another closer we get to Jesus. The more and more we become like him, the more and more our heart expands to those that we come in contact with. But it also requires us to take our eyes off of us. It requires us to, to lift our eyes from our own situations, our own struggles, our own problems in order to see those. I, I love John Dixon, in his book, Humilitus, he talks about humility being this, this lost key to, to life and love and leadership. And he says this quote that's in your notes, that true greatness is marked by a thousand small courtesies. I love that. Humility is not an ornament to be worn. It's an ideal that will transform. True greatness marked by a thousand small courtesies. 
Jesus gives one of the most powerful examples of this during his Sermon on the Mount. And in a couple of chapters earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, and he starts to make it clear that this idea of revenge and getting back at others and this idea of, of hurting others just because it's going to benefit you in some way, he's like, that is not a part of the kingdom of God. And he, he unlocks it and he drops this bomb on them in, in Matthew 5, verse 41. He says, hey, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as a true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect. The, the word in the original language is you are to be whole, to be complete, to be fully mature, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He starts with this bombshell for the Jews who are listening. He says, hey, 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 you, you, know, those, you know those Roman soldiers? You know those guys that, like, took over your land? You know the, the, those people? Well, by Roman law, like, whenever they feel like it, they can say, hey, carry my rucksack for a mile, and you can't do nothing about it. You just got to do it. What I'm asking you to do is not only carry it a mile, but I want you to carry it too. What? Why, why would we ever do that? Jesus, they're the enemy. They're the ones taking advantage of us. They're the ones who are taking over our land. Why would you want us to do that? Jesus would say mile one is an obligation. Mile two is an opportunity. In your notes, you'll see that mile one is an obligation. But mile two is this opportunity for the Lord to show up in your life. And what I want you to understand is that City View and our community and our care and our compassion, we will never be a mile one church. Our heart, our DNA, who we are as people, who we are as a community will always be a mile two church. Our heart will always be to, to go the extra step, to take the extra move forward. You see what happens when we go beyond what we're obligated to do, beyond what we're obligated to do in our jobs, obligated to do in our marriages, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our, in our neighborhoods. What ends up happening is that it, it gives people the opportunity to go, why are you caring for me this way? Why are you sacrificing for me this way? Why would you do this when I have done that? It creates an opportunity for us to share the love of Jesus, to share what he's done in us with them. You see, so many times we, we live under obligation and we allow that to define what we're doing. 
But Jesus says, I want you to go past that, and I want you to step into this opportunity. Why? Because as I look around the world today, we have an issue as Christians. You see, in our desperation to convince people to believe Jesus is real, we stop treating them in the ways that make them hope he is. In our desperation to, to convince them, hey, you want to believe Jesus is real. Jesus is a real thing. Jesus is awesome. You need to go to church. We, we're trying to convince people that he's real. And Jesus says, hey, you want to know how you do that? Treat them the way I treat you. Love them the way that I love you. Forgive them the way I forgive you. Go past the obligation and step into the opportunity. So many times we want to convince them that Jesus is worth it. We want to prove Jesus' rightness, but we forget that he told us that the way that they would know we belong to him is how the way we treat one another. The way we care for one another. The way we show up for one another. He says, treat them in such a way that they hope I am real. Love them in such a way that they go, man, I don't know if what you believe is the real thing, but I hope it is. Because if, if I feel this from you and I don't even believe what you believe, what's going to happen when I do? Our challenge as a church, our challenge as a community, our challenge as Jesus followers it isn't about saying the right thing. It isn't about looking the right way. It isn't about anything. Jesus is saying, treat them how I treat you. And when you do that, it can't help but cause curiosity. It can't help but cause them to go, what is going on here? Why do you love me? Why do you treat me? Why do you act this way. Listen, the enemy doesn't have to work to discredit the message of Jesus if he can discredit the messengers. He doesn't, he doesn't have to work to like twist whether or not Jesus is true in the Bible and all. Like, like that's, that's not even the main goal of the enemy. The main goal of the enemy is if I can get you to be jacked up as Jesus followers, it don't really matter what the message is. They won't even get to the message because you're going to mess it up before we get there. That's the goal of the enemy. The enemy is like, if I can get you to hate them, if I can get you to treat them poorly, if I can convince you that they are here to annihilate you, if I can get you to that place, then you won't love them how Jesus loved you, and then I don't have to worry about anything else. Jesus says, listen, love your enemies. Pray. Hey, Jews, I want you to pray for those Roman soldiers who are taking advantage of you. What? In what world does that even make any sense? Jesus says, when you go that second mile, it changes everything. Think about the conversation for the Roman soldier when he goes, all right, we hit the one mile mark. And he goes, let's go. Let's just keep going. Imagine that next mile. Imagine that next 15 minutes of walking. 
That next 15 minutes of conversation between them, why are you still carrying my bag? Why are you still doing this? I met this dude, and his name was Jesus. And he changed the way I saw the world. It's not by accident that all of a sudden in the gospel, we start seeing Roman centurions start showing up and asking Jesus to heal their kids. I wonder where that came from. I wonder if it came from some people taking his words serious and praying for those who persecuted them, for loving those who no one else wanted to love. So what would happen in our world? What would happen in our families? What would happen in our communities? What would happen in our church? What would happen if we truly lived this way? The Bible answers the question for us in this really beautiful way. In the early church, in the days and the months and the years following when Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, we see this in Acts chapter 2. All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And, and all the believers met together in one place and they, they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Were they doing some miraculous campaign around the nation? Were they getting on Facebook and blasting out marketing ads to tell them all about Jesus? No. Every day, they spent time together. They ate together. They did life together. They cared for one another. They shared what they had. There was generosity. I love that. I love how they describe it. There was this great awe that was over them. What, was, what were they in awe of? This atmosphere of Jesus when Jesus wasn't in the room. This presence of God that was there when they, when they ate dinner together, when they took care of each other, when they were near to one another. They sensed something happening, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Listen, the story that we want told about City View Community Church over the next two years, over the next 12 years, over the next 20 years. The story we want told from this point forward is that this is a place that you can't help but feel the presence of God. This is a place where you walk in the door and you know that you belong even before you believe. That this is a place that you can, you can walk in and be surrounded by people who are gonna fight for you to discover your purpose. They're going to fight for you to, to connect with God. They're going to fight for you to be in a healthy relationship. They're going to fight for you to be in this place where you know that you are loved and that you are cared for. 
the vision that Lauren and I had as we sat on Mount Soledad and we dreamed about what could be this church, it was not how many services we could have, how many seats we could fill, how many people would know our names. We don't give anything about that foolishness. The only thing we care about is that when people come into this place, they feel God. They find purpose. They understand that they can live for something so much bigger than themselves, and they can do it because they're surrounded by a family who cares about them, who has compassion for them, who would sell their houses and cars and cattle and sheep and whatever it takes to take care of one another. That's the community we want to be a part of. That's our heart. That's what we believe God is calling us to be as a church. And as we do that, he will add to their number those who are saved every day. That's the heart. So the challenge for you and I as we get ready to pray is that the only way this happens is for you and I to take Jesus serious. It's for you and I to say, hey, from this day forward, I will treat people in the way that Jesus treats me. I will love people in the way that Jesus loves me. I will forgive people the way that Jesus forgives me. I will have hope for them in the way that Jesus has hope for me. That we would commit to one another. That I am going to live my life in a way that makes people hope Jesus is real. I want to live in a way that when people interact with me at a restaurant or in the grocery store, they go, I don't know, but I hope whatever he believes is real because I want a little bit of it. That's what I want us to do, family. That we set our eyes on Jesus, that we would ask, that we would seek, and we would knock, and that proximity will shift our priorities and our hearts will line up with his heart and the doors will fly open in the way we can impact and change people's lives. Let's pray. Jesus, man, I, I years ago when we <laughs> sat on that mountaintop, what the journey has been, I could have never imagined. But you did. And you saw. You saw how our stories would intersect. You saw how our stories would cross each other's path. You, you saw the ways in which we would be able to connect with one another and love one another and, and lean into one another. Jesus, you saw it. You're not surprised by it. But what I also know is that there are hundreds more whose stories are set to cross our timelines. And Jesus, we're going to miss it if our eyes are not lifted to you. We're going to miss the stories that cross our story if our hearts are not set on asking and seeking and knocking on the door of your will and your plan. So Jesus, my prayer for us as a church family is not that you would flood this room with all kinds of people just so we could pat ourselves on the back. God, you would flood our lives with people whose stories matter to you and that they would start to matter to us. 
that you would flood our lives with people that, that because they matter to you, they matter to us. And we will love them and we will care for them and we will have compassion and we will have hope and we will dream big dreams for them and we will come alongside them and we would, we would wrap our arms around this community in the way that they say, man, I don't know if it's true, but I hope Jesus is real because I want to be with those people. Jesus, open our eyes to see the stories in our lives. Open our eyes to see the people in our lives and give us the courage and the compassion to love them how you love us. We pray all of this in strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.